Ron, hi. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you, sir? I'm good. You look like you're in a uh, Turkish prison. Uh, no offense to our, our friends in Turkey, of course. I, I think they're probably one step above, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm at the boat dock and you know, you can see the water back there somewhere. I mean, Ron, I can't believe any video I see anymore. So, and I certainly didn't see blue water there, but I, you know, I do believe <laughs> you and uh, you know. It's, we'll just... it's green water. It's a canal. <laughs> I mean, I got an email the other day that pointed out 12 evidences for why Joe Biden had been replaced and, uh, you know, a face. And, you know, so who knows what's for sure going on, right? Uh, only God. At this point, that is the only trustworthy source and yeah, some of us have a more direct and some of us have a more indirect way to check in, but I don't trust much. I'm with you. The source of creation I heard from a really smart psychologist about 20 years ago. I liked that. Do you have another word or phrase for it? Or I, I think that's very good. I mean, the divine, the architect, whatever. You know, source of creation is very good. I think it's a really interesting just perspective. If you're, let's just say, not afraid of death, obviously we all are, of course, but um, it does make you live in a different way if you're maybe, you know, not afraid of certain things. A uh, fabulous quote I heard, gosh, I'm sorry I can't attribute it to whoever, but something along the lines of when you, you know, when you, when somebody sees a leader, let's just say, go charge the enemy, that their spines all grow stiffer or more strong. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think there are many different illustrations throughout time. When you stand up to that which you fear, you are not just emboldened, but you're better for it. You know, sometimes it doesn't go so well. And when we, when we hear those metaphorical descriptions of becoming stronger based on these challenges, I think that tells us a lot about who we are as spiritual beings. We need to be challenged and we need to have the temerity to stand up and stiffen our spine, grow a set as they say. <laughs> well, um, you know, I heard an interesting thing that, you know, Bill Maher has all of a sudden since uh, Discovery and, and Zaslev, the CEO, comes in there and starts cleaning up shop on the woke culture because they're kind of uh, lowly rated shows um, right. that somebody like Bill Maher is all of a sudden, you know, showing the other side all of a sudden and miraculously and I guess my point to that is the comment that I saw this morning was something like, great job, Bill. You're, now you're showing a spine and uh -huh. you, know, you didn't show a spine during the process type thing. So I, I have to say that during all of the, the madness around, you know, non-existent pathogens and 
unscientifically based efforts to control or avoid said unexisting pathogen, Bill Maher did say some pretty clear and reasonable logical things about the madness. You know, he is who he is and he has to play to his audience at some level, but I think he's got more of a spine than most people who are on the quote unquote left. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he, he's kind of just a prick, honestly. Um, I've, I've never really enjoyed his way, but I do respect that he has stood up to the corporate structure sometimes. Maybe not enough for you know you or me to think, yeah, that's a guy I really want to watch and listen to. But when things are completely ridiculous on the face of it, Bill Morris stood back and said, I don't see what you're doing here. And then he'll turn around and say something like, you know, assisted suicide, abortion, whatever gets the freeway moving, you know? So I, that, that's a paraphrase, that's not a direct quote, but it's similar to what he said. So I don't respect him in his position, but I respect that he will stand up to the people who pull his strings. And that's why he lost politically incorrect, I think. You know, I, I think he said the wrong thing at the wrong time and people were like, oh my gosh, we can't have this guy disagreeing with the narrative. You know, and that's really where we're at at this point. We're in this really big narrative and it's essentially asymmetrical warfare coming at us. And, and some of the people who are involved in the warfare don't even realize it. I'm, I'm going to go to the, the vaccination debacle. There are certainly people on high who knew exactly what was going on who knew where the virus or whatever came from, who knew what it was, who knew there were already mRNA injections waiting and just needed to be tweaked in the very, very finest way. And those people are truly guilty of perpetrating evil on humanity. But then there are people like doctors, nurses, psychiatrists, psychologists, business owners who were looking at what the authorities were telling them and saying, oh my gosh, I need to protect my business, my employees, my customers. Oh my gosh, if you don't get this injection of this untested, unproven, unscientifically validated material into your body, I cannot allow you to work here. I mean, in my day job, I'm, I'm in a, a medical profession and, you know, it's always a struggle for me when I get a job because they want me to take certain vaccines, including the flu. Well, now it's to the point where I left a job because of the debacle called COVID-19. And when I started applying for jobs, when I told them I did not take this vaccination, quote unquote, 
my interviews were over. So mandate, if you can't get a job, if you can't feed your children, if you can't pay your bills, I don't know, it, it may not be a mandate in law, but it's a mandate for all practical purposes. Can't travel, can't go to school, can't work for, you know, for me, somebody like me who's going to be in a hospital or a clinical setting, you you can't, unless you can afford to start your own practice of whatever sort it is. And even then, the state in California came in and put all sorts of strictures and rules and impossible mandates into effect that bankrupted so many, so many different businesses from nail salons and restaurants all the way to certain types of, you know, boutique treatment centers. It, it's crazy. Sorry, I rambled. <laughs> and so I've, I've shared the possibility because I certainly wasn't thinking along these lines at the time that, you know, two weeks to flatten the curve, that the intent was there to, you know, was to fix that, but you think, as I do, um, that there were some other forces that were at work there that um, that were not uh, just ignorant or thought they were doing the right thing. They didn't think they were doing the right thing. So just sorry, go ahead. No, I'm I'm with you, and I I totally concur. There are, uh, you know, I. I hate the amorphous idea that there's somebody out there, they. Uh, Catherine Austin Fitz calls this group Mr. Global. Uh, there was a book called The Unseen Hand, you know, and then there are people who point at the Brit Royal Empire, there are people who point at the Israelis, there are people who point at Judaism across the world. There are people who point at the Vatican, whatever. There are interests. And I, I like Catherine Austin Fitz, Mr. Global, that are looking for a way to control down to the freaking pulse rate that you have the entire population of the earth. And you know, if you go back to the Georgia Guidestones, that population should never exceed 500 million. So we're about 750, I, I'm sorry, 7 billion, 500 million beyond that acceptable goal for Mr. Global. So here we sit, you and I, the plebes, um, and we watch these non-scientific buffoons stating absolute garbage. However, they control all of the levers of power except for the masses. And through the other levers of power, they do control the masses, but they don't have direct control. So the masses do occasionally rise up. However, oftentimes the masses rising up is predicted in their model, I, I have a background in statistics, and I, I think with the 
level of AI that we are currently dealing with that we know about in the masses and with the statistical programs that we have, we can do a pretty good job of predicting if we get some good data, what a certain population will do given certain parameters. With a little tweak of a variable here and there and continual tweaking, you can guide, say, an Arab Spring or mass hysteria, mass formation psychosis as, as recently hit the you know, web. But mass hysteria is a thing and it can be promulgated. And we have to look no further back than you know, the Nazis who vilified anybody who didn't fit what they wanted. The Japanese did the same thing, and to my surprise, the Americans did the same thing in the media of the day. I mean, the newspaper articles that portrayed Germans and Japanese folk during the run-up to the war and during the war, they were pretty horrific, you know, and I, I'm not one for political correctness, but when you stereotype with an intent to harm and you vilify and you propagate xenophobia within your your group you've really gone just a little bit too far um you know some stereotypes are are real and you know most stereotypes are harmless some of them are amusing but when you start using and weaponizing any attribute skin color race religion belief political affiliation when you start to weaponize these things it matters not that it's a stereotype it matters that you're weaponizing it and the weaponization of culture or physical attributes or cognitive abilities or whatever it might be has gotten to an obscene point. And we're seeing this reaction of what you were talking about, the woke culture being pushed back because while it's important to be mindful of the feelings, the beliefs, the physicality of others, I am not responsible for your feelings. I can change my behavior. I can attempt to be nice. I can attempt to be polite. And I will always fail, fall short of doing exactly what you want because I'm not you. And I don't even understand probably what you're looking for. And if you start telling me that your pronoun is they, I'm sorry, when I look at one human being here, my brain, has a grammar that I learned and they does not correspond to a single human. They is multiple, they is plural, he, she. You know, and if you want me to call you she, I, I can probably do that more easily, but still it's like, if I call you he instead of she and you've got a beard like mine, Okay, well, 
I'm sorry if you got offended, I wasn't trying to. But even if I was trying to, do we want freedom of speech? You know, there's freedom of speech and then there's being polite. I wanna to, want to try to be polite, but if somebody's asked me to do something that's outside of my ability or outside of my range of comfort, then they're imposing on me something that's just as impolite as me calling you by the incorrect gender pronoun. Sorry, air quotes in around my face. It's probably not very videogenic, but I, I, I obviously have feelings. <laughs> well, thank, thank you for that, Ron. I, I would like you to just keep going, you know, wherever you think like talking. I have some things to bring up, but um, just thank you and whatever comes to mind. Uh, do you have anything you want to add right this second? Let me just make a broad stroke because I know you and I were talking earlier about a little bit of the frustration that you were having and I am echoing with the, the nonsense and the unscientific approach that we're taking to a huge, possibly irreversible trend in bodily autonomy, autonomy and interventions. And this goes across a few arenas and then I'll be quiet and you can tell me what you want to talk about, but the entirety of what they are referring to as transgenderism, I'm, I'm having not issues with the fact that some people feel uncomfortable in the body they were given, not at all uncomfortable with people's erotic orientation, be they gay, straight, pan, two-spirited. I, I really, I don't care who you screw, but it lines up very clearly with putting things into people's body and telling them that they they must do it you know the the injections i was talking about and also you know when you listen to noah harari um you listen to klaus schwab you know th these guys and bill gates oh my gosh can't forget bill gates uh these guys are wanting to control the population if you look back at the bill and melinda gates Foundation. It used to be called the Bill and Melinda Gates Center for Population Control, I believe it was. And that didn't have a very uh, friendly ring to it. People kind of could see through a little bit more of what it was about. So anyway, that, that's my broad strokes is I, I think the transgender initiative and the uh, inoculation or any medical control would be things that I'm, I'm hot about. Am I incorrect to say, like, if there was a world court or, you know, even if these people were brought to justice, Ron, am I wrong to say that, like, Fauci and Gates should be executed? Is that, like, just absurd? Wow. Um, my, my gut reaction is it's not absurd. And here... <laughs> Here you will hear me waver a bit. I, I cannot support 
institutionally one human killing another. I, I just, the death penalty for me is just as wrongheaded as these people injecting stuff into people that's going to harm them. If you institutionalize such a punishment for, for my philosophy, I can't do it. I, I can't go there. Are you absurd or ridiculous to say? No, that's absolutely like in the letter of the law. That's what they did to the people at Nuremberg. And was it justifiable? Yes. Do I think I would do it? No, but totally justifiable. These people have killed millions of people already. Millions of people. And so, Ron, your experiences, you know, working in statistics and, you know, um, as a scientist type of, you know, situations that you've done for grants and, and groups. Right. Explain outliers and or the approval of these biological experiments that they call vaccines. Just explain to the normal person how they actually could push this through delete outliers that are injured by it and, and actually make this happen? How, how could that possibly be true? The long and short of it is people lie to get money. I, I'm in the behavioral realm. I've done some biological research, but most of my research background is in the effects of drugs on memory and on other behavioral and cognitive measures and how certain things will change based on uh, reading ability, stress and such. But statistics works the same way. You just use different tests in different ways. So to your direct question about outliers, I don't want to do a stats 101 course, but just the basics of the whole thing is 68% of all, all scores will fall in a chunk right in the middle of the population. So whatever population or sample you have, 68% of the people will score in a certain range on any test. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. When you go out from there, you go out in units we call standard deviation. And that standard deviation and the middle score will tell you how far you have to get to one direction or the other to be either negative or positive above what that 68% scores. So if you have a score of 100 for a test, so everybody takes a math test and 100 is the middle score and the standard deviation is 10, when you go 110, you went one standard deviation above the score. When you go 90, you're one standard deviation below the score. That's the end of normal. So when you get to 120, you just got significantly different from everybody else. You're about, oh goodness, can't remember my numbers, but about 95% of the scores are beneath your score. And when you get to 80, you're again significantly different than the middle score 
and you you just have about 14% of the scores beneath you. So I guess it's 85 up here or beneath you. Okay, so that tells you like the end of normality overall. 68 are very normal. And then you've got another uh, 28 that are a little better, a little worse. But once you get to that, you're, you're basically at like 96 up here. And the 14% the uh, under here, when you get to those levels, you are absolutely outside of normal, okay? When you have an outlier, it's somewhere over around 160. And that outlying score doesn't fit in this data set. And I'm sorry, this is getting a little technical, but suffice it to say, in the middle, your score is 100. When you get to 120, basically nobody above that score is scoring normally. So somebody at 160 seems like they're from another planet. So when you get down below 80, you know that nobody's normal. So if you get down to like 20, that score is not even looking like it's in here either. So those are the outliers. You can go really high on the, the end of like doing very well or very low doing poorly. A lot of times, scientists will cut those scores out because it makes your data messy. We refer to it as noise, outliers. Uh, we say those are anomalous. They are not from this data set. So that, that's pretty common to cut anything out of your data set that's more than three and a half standard deviations above or below your mean. Because you figure it's data entry error, or some sort of procedural error, and it just doesn't seem to fit the data. And, and so do you know about the testing that they did with the vaccine that, you know, they would have either deleted the people that had negative effects, or is the point is that they just didn't do much to any human testing, and the animal testing they did was, you know, bad for the animals. What can you say on that? So I don't have the sites, but I can tell you what I remember off the cuff. And that is not that they deleted the outliers. They deleted any data that was going to disconfirm their hypothesis, which basically means they lied. They cut any data that would argue against the emergency use authorization. They cut out data that was pretty clear. My opinion is they never should have allowed any of these injections to market. The animal studies are horrifying. When you look at any animal studies with the coronavirus mRNA injections that they did over the last 30 years, mainly they did rodent studies. And when they did those rodent studies, the rodents would, as we've seen in human beings, immediately get some great enhancement or you know, immunity, an ability to fight off the coronavirus or, or however you wanna look at it. But they, they, they were more able to be exposed and not 
develop a significant case of that virus. However, after the time had passed where the immunity or whatever it is subsides and the animals were introduced to a natural occurring coronavirus, they would develop something called, oh gosh, now I just lost it, but antibody like proliferation and it would enhance their re reaction to the coronavirus to the point where all their cells would begin to lice, dissolve, and their immune system would go into hyperdrive and they would die. And it would, you know, cause things like myocarditis and cardiac arrest and fever and things that mimic what we're seeing in reaction to the injections now. This, this is well known. This was well known to Pfizer and Moderna and to Fauci and the CDC and everybody in the community. And Dr. Malone talks about this and why he was adamant that they not go forward with this. And they, they overcame some of this uh, antibody enhancement by putting the, the PEG shell around the, the vector that they're slipping in to the cell. And that allowed for it to go in and not cause the uh, antibody enhancement right away. But it looks like we're you know, starting to see the ticking time bomb run short on the fuse. We've got these anomalous clots that are not blood clots that are being pulled out of bodies. I don't know what that is. All I can say is it's strange. We've got the insurance industry telling us that the actuarials have now uh, shown that we've got a 40% increase in all cause mortality in the 18 to 64 age group. What the heck causes 40% increase in a year? This didn't happen in 2019 to 2020. This happened after the release of these injections. There's also a lot of famine involved because we've shut down the world's food production and supply chains by stopping people from being there to deliver and grow food. I mean, we've got such a cluster going on and it's so interrelated. This is what I was gonna talk about earlier, which was asymmetric warfare. You know, if you, if you get cynical, if you get conspiratorial, you look at this and it's like, oh, they're stopping fertilizer production. We've got a war going on in the breadbasket of Europe. We've got major flooding in many of our grow regions around the world and major drought in the ones that aren't flooding. If you start to get really cynical, it's looking like, wow, in, in addition to uh, supply chain disruption, we've got these other things going on. We're headed for a big, big die-off.
And so the vaccine causes the generation of the T cells to not really happen. Is that right? Which hurts the immune system? Yeah, it, it, it does a few things. Um, again, like I said, I'm more of a behavioral scientist than a biologist, but the, the, I believe the killer T's get inhibited and are incapable of then fighting off new infection. Um, it also does something with one of the protective RNA strands that helps us to fight off cancer continually because we're continually, you know, culling out the, the mutated cells and whatnot. And these, sorry, I didn't bring sites I should have. Uh, these vaccines, as they're called, eliminate that response after a few months. There was a guy at the Crick Laboratory in London. He's an American guy, but he runs that laboratory. And he says, yeah, basically after you get a few boosters, this eliminates your immune system. And uh, it did not seem that that quote was taken out of context at all. I saw the run up to it and the out, you know, of the clip, it sounded like it was in context and it scares the living bejesus out of me. You also have the uh, clots and the, you know, um, vascular system that gets clogged up with the spike protein. And then also the, uh, the RNA that theoretically our children or our children's children will become a new species. Is that right? So the mRNA goes in and there's a, a reverse transcriptase process where it, it chunks off new molecules to do you know different things with the DNA. And when you get that little alignment flip, you're possibly going to pass that on to your progeny. Yes, that that is that's been speculated by people way above my pay grade in genetics, virology, and just you know, plain old fashioned medical doctors. Um, so yeah, we're, we're looking at maybe a chimeric change, chimera from the Greek of the blending of the different creatures, but on, on a very subtle level, you know, and all the micro circuitry stuff that people are finding. Again, the stuff is really difficult to prove. And when you've got the entire, again, weaponized media and whew, big fish, um, and not just the media, but the academy, you know, we in the academy are supposed to police ourselves. One of the top mandates is do no harm. The other one is keep an open mind. If you don't keep an open mind, then you cannot run science. It doesn't work that way. Science is a process that requires us to remain open to the data that are revealed. We take it and we interpret it. And sometimes we get it right. Sometimes we get it wrong. That's why you need to keep an open mind. And the academy does not run that way anymore. What you were talking about with um, you said something in the beginning about some of the information getting quashed. And 
you were pointing pointing back at me at that point because I've had direct interaction with the academy running results and it doesn't just happen at the editorial level which is what we all complain about you know oh that editor just didn't want to publish my stuff because it disagrees with his belief well that happens I've seen it I've experienced it but that's kind of minor the real problem comes in when you're talking about multi-million dollar grants and your institution is awarded that grant based on what you find or don't find. You, as the principal investigator, might go in there with an open mind and find everything and produce all the results, not just the ones you like, and figure out what it means. But if you are stepping on the toes of somebody who's one of the big gatekeepers like Anthony Fauci, your funding won't be there. And your findings will be buried if they're allowed to be published at all. And you'll probably be looking for a job within a year because there's a there's a motto or a saying that you publish or perish in the university system and if you're not publishing at least three articles a year you're not going to get tenure and even if you get tenure at this point you know tenure used to be our safeguard we would go and we'd be like okay i gotta bow my head and scrape and do everything until i have tenure and then I can tell the world to go do whatever it does anymore there's no safety your job will be taken from you you'll be annihilated and getting a job once you have been let go nobody will hire you on a tenure track or as a full professor or even an associate professor they might hire you to do classes or be an assistant professor, but you're not gonna get a full-time for sure gig once you've been let go for balking at uh, publishing something you don't want to or not publishing what they want you to. Same way with the state archeologists, everybody works for them, you know, from yep. the parks to the historical societies and those people at the top, they, don't want any extra work, right? And um, you know they um, they uh, you just you don't piss off the boss. I mean, so so um, you know, in trying to get people to understand how this systematic systemic just failure could have happened, most doctors, per my understanding, are not scientists, and so they receive a letter from the CDC that says something like, you should probably tell people or you should tell people to get the booster. And they just blindly accept that. They're busy as heck too. But what comes to mind for you in that? Yeah, you've landed on a really huge problem. Um, I mean, obviously I'm biased, but I think everybody should have a good solid 
training in critical thinking and the scientific method. It's not perfect. Nothing that involves human beings is perfect. However, medical doctors are trained to be critical thinkers to a point. And then they're trained to listen to authority. And more and more of the scientific education, you know, is abdicating toward, there are different ways of knowing. Intuition is one, scientific method is one, and from authority is one. And direct experimentation and scientific method is very difficult to pull off. So I understand why we don't do a scientific method on every single problem every single day. We do it in the academy and then we replicate it and then we share that. And that sharing is supposed to spark new and you know different curiosity about what we know and what we don't know. However, what's been done is once it makes it to that level of, well, we, we have a good idea of this is how it works, then somebody from a, a government agency, read the FDA or the CDC or the APA or the M, anyway, one of the associations then takes it from there and says, well, this is what the scientific studies have proven or in the words of Al Gore, the science is settled. No science is ever settled. Science is a process. And sometimes it seems redundant, but we need to go in and investigate when there are questions. And we need to remain open to conflicting information, even if it disagrees with our beliefs. If I found that there was a, a, a quote unquote proof that there was no God or source or whatnot, scientifically. Honestly, I, I'd have to go with that. However, faith is another way of knowing, right? So if somebody's got faith, Thomas Aquinas, yeah, basically made the decision, yeah, I can't prove it, but I know it's there. So if you have that, in your own personal faith, more power to you. But if you're going to start telling the world that you know something by faith about some emergency use authorization injection, I got a problem. This is not the way we do it. it it's like, five to 15 years to go through the, the processes that they did in a year. And there's no way they could have done it. And there's no way that they proved what they said they proved 95% was absolute garbage. There was about a 65% enhancement of immunity or ability to get through it without getting sick from what we've seen in the aftermath. And that fades within three to four months. And then, as you mentioned, you've got these little spikes sticking up through the endothelium in your blood vessels, catching stuff, which causes clots. And then you've got 
strokes. You've got the the dimer, you know, microclotting, run a dimer, de-dimer test to see the microclots. You've got all these people with these funky, weird paralyses. You've got strokes, you've got myocarditis, which is somewhat possibly related. Um, but you've got inflammation markers. You've got all of these things that are showing us that this is stuff that the body is not handling well. And then you've got a specific issue in the, the vessels themselves that's leading to, you know, clotting. And and further the all the autoimmune diseases, which oh my god, yeah. Um so what really got me, Ron, was this morning. I don't know why. I see this stuff all the time. Not sure yeah. why this morning's one got me. Probably because I saw one the day before, the day before, the day before. But on, you know, the Hollywood Reporter, a 32-year-old actress just dead instantly. Yep. I'm not sure why this one pissed me off today because I literally every day, it's unbelievable. Yeah. But it just pissed me off this morning tremendously. Um, where, you know, the reason I brought up Bill Maher and maybe perhaps some of his changing ways is I'm going to probably be upset at myself that I didn't do more to spread the word earlier. I'm trying to do it now, but I guess my point in bringing this up is my goal is what can be done to help the vaccinated, you know, get into a better position and not what I can figure out or what you know, cause you and I haven't spent time talking about this or it's almost like the point is, is that you have all, all these scientists, geniuses around the world. And there's probably not too many of them. There's probably some, of course, but not too many that are spending their time figuring out what the vaccinated should do to fix this disaster. And that yeah. is just unbelievable. That, that is, <sighs> That is unbelievable, horrifying, and infuriating. I, I could spend all of my time being completely and rightly so infuriated and despairing at what has happened, I mean, without belaboring it all five of my kids have subjected themselves to this. They're all adults, but still, you know, it's, it's horrifying, infuriating, and it could put me over the edge with depression if I, if I were to allow it. But I've, I, I had a psychologist who told me once that if you do best that you can personally do that's all you can do there is no more and it may not be what you hope for and it may not be perfect and it may not resolve the issue however it's the best you can do in that moment and when i hear dr mercola uh you know and Dr. Malone has changed his tune since the beginning of all this bit, but when I hear him say things about it, when I hear Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, Dr. Lee Merritt, um, 
Many of the medical doctors are really despairing. Many of them, you know, are feeling pangs of guilt about not being able to do enough, not doing the right thing at the right time, given the information. Flat out and honestly, when they were saying two weeks to flatten the curve, I was not at all opposed. I thought that was a very reasonable measure, given the fact that we were being shown people collapsing on the streets, all, all sorts of fear porn was being pushed into us there at that point. And I was very much looking at that saying, well, maybe this is a reasonable thing to get a handle on where we're at so we can actually make an assessment to make scientifically based recommendations. And then the flurry of non-scientific propaganda and dog training began. You know, I remember, oh, it's on all the surfaces. Make sure you wipe down every single piece of food and packaging that you bring into your home and then discard the bags. And it was just, it was all so reactionary. And so I thought at the time, you know, I had told friends like uh, old friends, like in their eighties, I was like, I'm just so shocked this had happened. I never thought a virus could have happened. And they're like, well, we knew a virus was going to happen. Right. Um, but you know, you had all these old people on the ventilators and whatnot. And like, oh did they God. think they were doing the right thing at the time? And, you know, I, I think would... so. I, I think, I think most of those medical doctors have a good heart and they were on that. Oh yeah. From on high, I've gotten the protocol remdesivir, a ventilator and, you know, force fluids. <laughs> Let's drown the person. Let's blow their lungs. Let's obliterate their alveoli. You know, sorry, you you touched a. And so a hot what button. I what I, you know, became very obvious was what they did to ivermectin, which I believe uh, won a Nobel. Uh, was it a Nobel Peace Prize or a, a Nobel Prize for medicine? Nobel Prize. It, they give it to babies up to a hundred year olds. Yeah. But but what was super obvious was this campaign, this push to and and i saw all the comments on twitter by you know people just filled with you know propaganda the narrative from the news yes. that i would never take a horse tranquilizer you know i would never that's just these people are the dumbest people that would ever do that and ron am i wrong that like india administered ivermectin and not the vaccine and like just talk about talk about that made it clear that there was some nefarious things going on that they yeah. literally just, and the reason for that, per my understanding was, if you allow, if there are other cures, any other cures, then you cannot have an emergency use authorization. That is absolutely true. Ivermectin was given the Nobel Prize because it's not a panacea, but for parasite infection, especially river blindness, which is caused by water infected with a certain worm, um, it is a miracle drug. And it has 
a very low side effect profile from what I've read. I mean, not, not obviously I'm not a medical doctor, but the utilitarian nature of ivermectin has led it to be one of the most prescribed drugs across the world, from Brazil to India to Africa, anywhere where you've got parasite issues, you're going to find a large number of people who are using necessarily ivermectin. And you nailed it exactly. You cannot take this multi-bazillion dollar emergency youth use authorization to the FDA or to the world as it went with a cure. And the other thing was hydrochloroquine. You know, chloroquine we've been using for, or quinine, for mosquito infection of malaria for, I don't know, all the way back. I think the Brits were using it in the 1800s. It, it's been a heck of a long time. Quinine water, you know, tonic water has been used for a long time to battle with malaria and other parasites. Um, so those two things right there were immediately deified. They were said to be ineffective, not just ineffective, but dangerous. And medical doctors who are supposed to practice under their own license were having their licenses yanked for prescribing a drug that they knew to be safe. And they knew um, it worked, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, they knew it was efficacious. It was off-label. So it, you, you cannot say it was prescribable for that, but we didn't have anything to prescribe for this. So you take this drug with a, in the case of ivermectin, I think 30 year, now 50 year history, because I think it was the seventies that they started using it, definitely in the eighties. And you have this other MRNA tweak that modifies the organism from the inside out that we've never done before. And you're talking about putting it in half the world's population, it's a no-brainer in my mind, conservatively on the, remember the first tenet I said that we have in research is do no harm. That comes straight out of ancient Greek philosophy of healing. And it translates very well into the Nuremberg Code and the Helsinki agreement and the Geneva Conventions and all of the other safeguards we have put in for treatment of medical patients, research, what we call participants, but really their subjects, because they don't really have a part in the research for the most part other than to be practiced upon. And prisoners, prisoners have more rights then we're given under this emergency use authorization for, like I said, the mandated vaccines. Anyway, I. All right, so we're just going to do a couple minutes and we're done. Is that okay? Just a few I, minutes and we're done? I've got as long as you need, man. Okay, so. Um,
my experience with the ivermectin was that, uh, well, I had, I had heard doctors that swore by it and had, you know, these absurd 99%, all of my patients were fine. You know, they follow, they tried to follow the few things you add the zinc, then all of this, and it works for these doctors. And then they're not allowed to prescribe it anymore. Um, but I, I literally was in the middle of pharmacies that one by one, you just could not get it anymore. It was just, it was cheap. It was accessible. It works. And then one by one, each farm. Oh, I'm so sorry. We don't carry that. Oh, oh no, we don't carry that. Um, And then they started publishing studies, a few studies on the ivermectin that one of them like didn't have the zinc attached, right? Which you have to use the zinc with it. Right. And so I I let, I, I, I spoke to a psychologist and this was recently and uh, he said, yeah, well, you know that, you know, they've proven that ivermectin, all the doctors that I've spoken to, they've proven that ivermectin doesn't work. So, you know, uh, Joe Rogan and, his, you know, his, I'm like, I'm like, bro, you're like really smart. You're like a, you're like a really smart psychologist. Who are your doctors that say it for sure doesn't work? And who are you to just blindly accept that without doing your own research? So that is a huge issue. And it goes back to the critical thinking and the lack of scientific method and the lack of curiosity that is evidenced within our society, but especially in our educational system. I, I, you don't know this, but in my doctoral studies, I, I did a minor in adult education and keeping people curious is a tough road to hoe. And if you look at the way that our education system is set up, it's set to create incuriosity. We are, we are, punishing people who think outside of the box and come up with creative solutions. It's like when you're doing an algebraic equation and the the prof will see that you did a step differently than he or she did it, but you arrived at the same result. And they will, you know, without saying, hey, this is an inelegant solution, they'll just say, hey, that's wrong. And maybe your solution was more elegant and maybe it would, you know, transfer knowledge to a a more interesting equation later, but because it's not the way they were taught, you're wrong. Rather than, wow, that's interesting. You came up with a different solution or you arrived at the same solution through a different method. And I'm, I'm all about creating, you know, this elegant solution. And I, I love that we can strive for that. But if, if you read the structure of scientific revolutions by Thomas Kuhn, he will very clearly lay out that science is fouled by the human tendency of confirmation bias and of political correctness and social norms and conformity. Because 
usually once we believe something, there's a virus called COVID-19 and it's going to kill half the world's population or whatever people thought, we act upon it. And this is the way humans are made. We have to have some quick way to assess danger. And when you get into the herd mentality, there's no questioning why the, the ground is so much lighter 15 feet in front of me and why the herd is uh, disappearing in front of my face. As I am plummeting off the edge of the cliff, I might consider that I shouldn't have followed that ass in front of me. Well, you're being creative, Ron. And uh, yeah, we're, <laughs> and we're, that's time to cut it then. No, not yet. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, like last night, last night I was dreaming and I mean, I love, there's an article on how long does a dream actually, you know, I don't know, yeah. I remember, but like I was in a full on dream and like stuff was going, I was kissing somebody. I mean, there's all sorts of things going on, but do we ever learn about like what that is or to be creative? It's just, it's, you're exactly right. It's, they don't want us to, you know, meditation. How could that not be a, a class taught to all, all kids? It's just crazy. You know, and I think I, I'm all about, like I said, finding the elegant solution. However, that's going to be individualized. In, in a former life, I did a lot of neuropsychological testing and worked with a lot of kids with, you know, cognitive differences, different ways of doing things different ways of viewing the world. I mean, that's just the nature of the human experience is we're in that 68% for most of our stuff, right? But there are certain things where we're really good or we're really bad or we do it very different. And sometimes it's maladaptive. So what we do in the educational system is when we have somebody who's outside that 68% on something is we say, okay, how far out are you? Oh, you're one standard deviation away. Okay, well, maybe we can support you a little bit like this. Oh, you're two standard deviations away on that, either bad or good. And if it's, you know, good, if a kid's really, really good at math and you're sitting there having them add single digit and they're capable of doing, you know, polynomial equations, they're going to be bored out of their mind and throwing spit wads at the teacher. So you need to insert a level of challenge where you tell, we have pull in or push in, pull out. So you pull the kid out, you put him into a sixth grade math for that math hour, and you have him go back in for the rest of the subjects where he's okay. He's, you know, doing what he needs to do and he's not crazy bored, but we don't really do that. If, if somebody's really bad at something, we will provide some support for them if, if it's caught and if the parents are vocal enough and if the school district's rich enough. But with, with the really smart kids who aren't smart across the board, but they're really smart in one area, oftentimes they're just bored stiff and they will leave, you know, with a bad taste in their mouth and we're not we're not balancing for the individual there's no perfect solution i'm just making an example that 
if we build a solution, we have to also build in the fact that it will be imperfect and we need to look for those outliers and for the, the variations where we can support the individual, not just the herd. What percentage of people kind of believe as they're told? Is it 80%? Like what is, obviously it's becoming more, you know, more people open now with the internet and stuff like that. But like, is it 70% like generally believe what the news says type thing? I'm going to demur because I don't have accurate statistics right now. I, I, I can point to a study though. It's called the, the blue barn, red barn experiment, I believe. And what they did was they had a group of college students sit down and they put up a, a picture, not quick, just put it up there with an overhead projector of, I believe it was a red barn. And they went around the room and they had six people in the room, let's say, I'm not sure of the number, but they would have five Confederates and then the test subject. So five people knew what was going on. And the experimenter would say, what color is the barn? And the first person would say, it's blue. And the, the person who was the test subject, you know, would go check the faces of everybody else to see, oh my God, did you all hear? She said it was, blue it's red you know the the first five would say it's blue almost always the sixth person said it was blue <laughs> big as day red barn that's science that's my answer well that that's <laughs> that's humanity that's the conformity that's the normalcy you know Normalcy bias works in a different way, but it's same thing is we normalize things and we try to fit in and then we automatize things and we just get to the point where eventually something that objectively incorrect, we can just blaze right through. And this is how social control works. And this is what we are experiencing with evidence flying in the face of every stage of what they have done with this insanity. And, and now I'm gonna shift, sorry, but with the Supreme Court justice who they nominated most recently, the, the woman who couldn't define what a woman is. As I said, I'm, I'm very amenable to people feeling however they feel having sex or not having sex with whomever they want, as long as everybody's able to consent, is above the age of consent and is capable of making that decision. Otherwise, hey, party on. Not mine to be involved in your sexual preferences or how you feel about yourself. But there's a certain biological fact that comes down to a chromosomal pairing of XX or XY. And I know there are variations on that. However, that is very, very, very extremely rare. I, I think homosexuality is fairly rare, about 10% of the population. And I, honestly, I think like true died in the wool, absolute heterosexual can't even consider another situation is rare as well. And we see this, especially in institutionalized settings where 
especially men will be having sex with men, even though they're not gay, they, they just, it's not completely abhorrent to them to have sex with another man. It's just not their preference. So human beings tend to be more across a spectrum, but completely homosexual or completely heterosexual being at the ends. And then in the middle, most people tend toward heterosexuality for whatever reason, but they aren't completely writing off and they aren't completely writing off the other side either. You know, so we're on a spectrum, but we're not on a spectrum of male or female. That's pretty much a binary equation for 99.9999, very far out with the nines in this species. We have very few hermaphrodites and very few chromosomal abnormalities that makes anything other than XX or an XY pairing work. You know, the triple X stuff and some other things that go in there are very rare. So when you have an educated woman who I would assume is very intelligent, who doesn't have the who doesn't have what it takes to say, yes, a woman is a woman. A woman has XY, I'm sorry, XX chromosomes. A woman has ovaries for the most part. Not all women do, that's true. But they do have XX chromosomes. You could at least go there. And she could have, she could have ended it right there and it would have been a very clear scientific fact. She wouldn't have been claiming that people who feel different are wrong. Should have just been stating a fact. Biologically, female is XX chromosomal pairing. It's it's just a fact. So, um, just to shift gears for kind of a, a final <laughs> little conversation is, um, you know, I had had a conversation actually earlier today with somebody, and uh, basically thinking that. I mean, just out of nowhere, I don't think he knew I was into the, he's like, do you, you know, you know, the new world order. I'm like, do you, I'm like, geez, you do. And he's like, the reason it would never work is because, you know, there's selfish people that, or whatever, you know, who would somehow break that apart or whatever. I just right. thought that, I thought that was interesting, but, you know, in trying to understand why it's so trendy now to you know, be transgender or why it's not just trendy enough to be gay. It's you got to go one step, you know, further for the attention or whatever. Uh, and, and I guess I'm, you know, they, I'm, I'm trying to understand you're dealing with the, you know, the final conversation, Ron, and we'll just listen to you talk and then call it a day is, you know, this, I mean, do you really think that they're leading towards a 2030 great reset with our testosterone levels going down, you know, to 25% from what our fathers, grandfathers were. And I mean, do you really think that, you know, um, cause I wonder if a week or two weeks or I'm sorry, 10, 20 years pass and nothing happens and it's Biden gets out eventually. And then somebody else comes in and, you know, we still have a United States and we, there's still a, an EU. And what, what do you feel, Ron? Everything. 
My friend, that is a big, big subject that begs so many questions. But again, I'll, I'll try to stick on really broad topic of the injection that's been promulgated. Best case scenario, those people we were talking about, those few high up people who were promulgating this are just greedy looking for money. That's the best case scenario. Next level is they are greedy and they don't care as much about the money as the power and they want control. The really, really like devastating idea is not only do they want money, control, power, but they want to depopulate so that they can have a better handle on controlling everything, you know, taking it down to the 500 million of the proposal on the guidestones. So the best case we have is we've got people out of control because they're greedy people who don't care about what they do, not just to you or me, but to the species. You know, we're talking about species level event here. With that said, okay, so that's the vaccination. And then we've got the, again, this is, if you're looking at this from asymmetric warfare, multiple fronts. If, if these higher ups are actually not little bits biting at each other's heels, vying for the top dog spot. If there is one coordinated push and these different things I'm gonna lay out are coordinated, unfortunately it points toward the last scenario. And that is the wars, you know, the, the unrest between Russia and Ukraine has been honestly going on for six, seven hundred years. But 2014, we, we just got past the possibility of like a freaking nuclear war playing out there because of the incursions back and forth across the border. So we go through four years of, you know, Donald Trump, love him, hate him, whatever, being fairly, being a bull in a china shop, but fairly clear that, hey, anybody who goes against what I say, you're going to be dealing with immediate and clear reprisal. So you've got a bunch of neocons who have been inching their way under the guise of NATO into Poland, Estonia, Ukraine, and beefing up, you know, first strike weaponry in these countries. And God only knows what they were doing in the bio labs in Ukraine, which were holdovers from the USSR, as far as I can tell. So we, we took over the USSR bio labs in Ukraine and started producing stuff. I, I won't even venture a guess of what, but I'm sure it wasn't good. So we've got this war that breaks out all of a sudden during the middle of this huge disruption of supply chain, which further is gonna starve Europe, which 
is a choke point for gas flowing through Russia to Europe. So we've got food choked off to Europe. We've got energy choked off to Europe. We've got these people whose immune systems have been compromised because of the pretty much forced vaccination through most of Western Europe. I mean, Italy, Austria, Germany, they've all had pretty hardcore campaigns to get people vaccinated. So they're not going to have nutrition, they're not going to have proper heat, and they're not going to be starting with a very strong immune system. You're going to see a large number of people die this winter. Then you go to the fertilizer that is choked off from Ukraine and Russia for the Western world, especially Europe. So next year, you're going to have huge crop depletion throughout Europe. Add to that this, I think, very unscientific halt to nitrogen that they're trying to promulgate throughout Europe, starting with the Netherlands and, you know, lesser degree to the other uh, fertile areas that raise meat. But in Netherlands, they're, they're, Netherlands produce so much of the food when I lived in Europe. It's like everything came from Netherlands. They grow everything in greenhouses. They grow all the chickens. They, I mean, it's unreal how much food comes out of the Netherlands. And they are shutting down the farming there. They're cutting off the fertilizer coming out of Russia and Ukraine, which is huge. They're cutting out the natural gas, which not only is used for heating in Europe, but also there's a, a process by which you create um, anhydrous ammonia out of the gas using the Haber process, where you take a good deal of gas and create urea out of it. And it's just insanity. So you've got multiple levels coming into Europe. You don't need to have warfare you're gonna decimate people through starvation and illness. The energy prices in Great Britain are like on an 80% upswing. There's no way, you cannot do that. You're gonna, even if you hyperinflate the currency. This, so that's the next level is look at the parity between the Euro and the dollar right now. The dollar is losing ground on a daily, but yet the Euro is now at parity with it. Europe's going to see a huge decimation. We are much more self-sufficient here. However, what have we seen happen on the same level? We, we had our energy shut down. We were energy independent and a net out exporter when Biden took office. Now we are energy dependent for outside energy and we are struggling and we have shut down projects that would have kept us energy independent. Again, I'm, I'm not some radical laissez-faire 
let the market drive everything and we can ruin the environment. But if we don't continue to use fossil fuels, we will not have enough electricity to electrify all of these great and wonderful technologies that we're augmenting with. We need to use natural gas. We need to use oil. We need to use coal. And eventually, we need to use low energy nuclear reaction, which is not your grandfather's nuclear reaction. If you don't know what it is, you should look it up. But we need to, we need to diversify what we're doing energy-wise or else we're not going to make it. So here we are, we've cut down the energy. We're all aimed toward having a Tesla and a you know, Tesla solar system and whatever, which I, I've got no problem with solar. I think solar is great. It's just not cost effective for most of us. But our fertilizers are limited right now. Our supply chains are limited. We've lost a lot of our food production due to lockdown supply chain and by some odd happenstance, various food production facilities and various other things in the supply chain being blown up, burned up, shut down, or otherwise inaccessible. Thousands of cattle dropping over from heat stroke. Never in my life have I heard mass die off from a heat stroke, especially not in the middle of the country. You know, maybe West Texas, you might get that, but no, this just doesn't happen. Avian flu in the birds. Okay, well, forgive me for being cynical, but I'm cynical at this point. You know, the anthrax in the water in Alberta, Saskatchewan, they had people, excuse me, show up a couple days before to test the water. Well, I guess if you test it, you might find it, but then all of a sudden the, the cattle start dying from the water. I hate to be that cynical, but as I said, it's starting to look like the third rail of money, power, depopulation. Well, Ron, thank you for being so just, you know, concise and just wise in your words. I have 20 other topics to talk about, um, <laughs> but just thank you for, uh, I mean, it's very scary. Isn't that the word, Ron? It's, it's, I'm really struggling with, uh, I just share, you know, like my, my, you know, a light that I needed some repair, you know, go to the light shop and this guy's talking out loud about vaccines are horrible. He's talking like that and that works for him. And so it's like, I cannot talk about this type of stuff with, you know, vaccinated people because I just want to provide solutions. And, you know, that is something that we will focus on and, and, you know, that that is what it's just very difficult for me to talk about these subjects makes me extremely uncomfortable. So I, 
I, um, I guess this is the way to get the word out by just, um, you know, that's it. So I, I don't think you're alone at all in that discomfort. Like I said, polite is polite. And I, I, I do strive to be polite. I, I don't want to make somebody feel bad. I don't want to insult somebody. Sometimes there's major miscommunication and that happens. But overall, most human beings, I mean, around the world, there is cultural variation, but around the world, most human beings are pretty damn nice to each other, mostly. And unless they've learned otherwise, most cultures are fairly welcoming to people who are trying to maintain a polite recognition of that culture. You know, if you walk into a mosque and you're bare-legged, bare-shouldered, 20-year-old from America and you're in Morocco, they're probably going to escort you out. But if you figure something out from that and you come back and you're covered up, they're probably going to welcome you in so that you can witness the glory of what they see. Nice. So when we're, you know, when we're talking about, oh my gosh, what idiot would take a vaccination that's never been tried? And when it was run on the animals, it killed, you know, and, and, and frankly, when you're this emotional about it, you're this clear that it's bad and scary. It's like on the other side, when people get in the face of the unvaccinated say, oh my God, you're going to kill me and everybody around you. And, you know, it's fear. Both sides, it's fear. The anger that sometimes I feel when I'm restraining myself from saying, this is such a load of horse hockey. There is no science is just the same when somebody's looking me in the eye and saying, my vaccine is not gonna work if you don't get yours. You know, they're, they're, they're horrified. Maybe they love me. Maybe they're very worried about me, just as I'm very worried about them. So we, we do need to be cognizant of the fact that there are different beliefs that would shade this greatly, but. Yeah, you're right. I, I have a hard time sometimes when somebody's bellowing on about the idiots who have taken the vaccine, because I know many, many intelligent people who believe from authority that this is a good thing. And they just failed to do a rigorous scientific analysis. And like I said, it's very cumbersome if you live your life being a scientist about everything. I, I, I think it's hard, but yeah, you, you're, you're like most, you know, we don't want to upset everybody. However, if somebody asks me, I, I, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to tell them what I think and why. And unfortunately, most of them, as soon as I say what I think, why doesn't matter. I'm wrong. And that, that's unfortunately the way human beings operate. You know, first information, best information, authority, 
has a higher level of importance in the you know prioritization of behavior based on what level of authority that's where the behavior gets the priority and if we had scientific river rigor and all the you know we've got a ton of safeguards and fail safes in the process but money has overwritten it all I had heard that the uh, Constitution was the, the greatest document, you know, ever, whatever. And, you know, um, Benjamin Franklin said that, you know, it's a republic, but we'll see if you can keep it, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. That, that was supposedly when they came out of chambers, one of the, the women asked him, well, what do we have? Do we have a kingdom? Do we have a democracy? Do we have a republic? And he said... We have a republic if we can keep it, which, I mean, the dude was obviously a brilliant person. What, what uh, I had heard that, uh, um, that, you know, America, this was, this is an experiment, you know, how this government, and I, this resonated when I heard this on another podcast, which was, um, you know, uh, that money came in and influences the politicians and tells them what to do that Pfizer and Moderna have 60 lobbyists that live in Washington DC the number one and number two uh, in terms of quantity and that I just liked this that it was on the Joe Rogan podcast somebody was talking but it was Joe he was saying and he basically said what we should have is something in effect of if you're caught taking money from anybody that you would theoretically be executed or under your thinking jail for life. But, you know, it's, it's, it was an experiment, the United States. And I think the stats today say, is it 40% or think, you know, a civil war in the next 10 years? Oh, obviously, yeah. obviously I don't believe any stats on anything, but. I, I heard that today as well and was, you know, and that's what people espouse versus what's going to happen. We know that people are very fickle and it, it depends upon some immediacy of what's going on. But even if it's just what people feel today, that's a huge number of people who are feeling that there's that much animosity and unrest. And the stats leading to that, like how many people think we're going in a good direction regardless of political affiliation right now, the number of people who think we're going in a good direction in our country is very, very, very low, like 20%. <laughs> That's pretty, pretty dismaying. I, I can't help but really, I have so many things I see on Twitter. I just thought this was so funny. Like they said 81 million people voted for Biden but have they ever seen a hat that was like a pro Biden hat or a shirt that was like pro Biden? I just thought that was funny. I don't know why. All you have to do is look at the number of people who showed up for his rallies. I mean, there, there was some bias in that because of the people who would support him wouldn't want to be in a crowd, but you know, the guy really had a hard time filling a, a high school auditorium with people who support him. So it's, it's unlikely that he got more votes than Barack Obama. And that the Supreme Court would not even listen to, you know, the case, the situation that they should have 
that that was a uh, just they didn't even listen to it, right? There are so many flaws with the way that our our election failed. You know, you can go back to Bush versus Gore, and Bev Harris started her whole thing about black black box voting at that point, and she was a very liberal person. And you know, it, it's crazy because in my lifetime, I've watched the shift from critical thinking among the liberals to absolute adherence to authority as long as I agree with the authority. And I mean, Republicans were already showing a lot of the mindset of go with the authority, but honestly, that spectrum has broadened as people have left the Democrat party to become part of the Libertarian or the Republican Party, they've broadened the, the thought. Many of the Republican people, I think, are smelling the nonsense as well. And just more of the alternative media at this point kind of aligns with the conservative movement, which is a total reversal from, you know, say 2000, it was mostly more liberal people who were questioning the authority of the government and the agencies and the outcomes and the lack of scientific rigor in things. But now it seems like they've all drunk the Kool-Aid and I don't know. All right, people, Ron, I people need to wake up. The computer's going to die. So, uh, yeah, when you're dealing with uh, the internet with these voting systems, they're susceptible to hacking. And China or India is primary hackers, potentially. Certainly, yeah. China would have wanted Biden. Um, but to not even hear the case, that was like the perfect case that the Supreme Court should have listened to because it's the states can't resolve their, it's, it's, and to just turn it away is, I, I learned that today. So I got to go. The it was crazy. <laughs> All right, my friend. Thank, Thank you, you so much for having me. And I hope to talk with you soon. And uh, when you get to the editing of all this, make it interesting. It's all raw. It's raw, Ron. <laughs> Very raw. I don't know how to edit this thing. I mean, what do you think? I'm some... Make my hair look like it was actually combed. I'll make it blonde, okay? You can make it kind of burnt orange like Trump, and we'll just call it a comb over. The the wombat on my head. All right. Thank you, buddy. We'll we'll continue this very soon. Good All work. Right. Take care. Good to talk Bye. to you. Bye-bye.